Don't touch that dial. It's the American Grooves Radio Hour with your host, Joe Laura. Welcome, folks, to this week's episode of American Grooves Radio Hour, and that was the Mississippi Sheiks recording of Sitting on Top of the World. That's the definitive recording, the first recording of that classic blues that's been covered by everyone from the Sheiks to Howlin' Wolf to the Grateful Dead and beyond. So welcome. We're going to be digging deep into recordings made of Delta musicians back in the 20s and early 30s. And some collectors will tell you they're about the hardest to come by. 
records that were sold just in a limited area in small amounts. And uh, as they say, the stuff that dreams are made of. Now, here's one of the most famous Delta musicians. We've all heard him because this tune that you're about to hear and you'll know immediately has been covered by everybody and still is performed today. never gets old. Robert Johnson, 1937 Crossroads Blues. I first heard Crossroads, as did so many people my age. Cream's electrified, electrifying version of it. You know, I had no idea that it had come from a recording made 30 years earlier. And I learned about this later on. And, you know, Clapton and so many of the British Blues musicians that were coming up in the 60s had heard these recordings through the reissues that came out in the early 60s. Johnson's being one done by Columbia, I think it was 64, uh, where they released on a two LP set most of Johnson's key recordings. I think some outtakes emerged later on but crossroads was clearly there and everyone from the stones to clapton you name it i mean even his peers that were just a little bit younger like howlin wolf 
performed some of his tunes, just like Johnson was influenced by Sunhouse and Willie Brown and some of the earlier performers. You know, the influences were pretty much experiencing the playing rather than hearing it on the radio or watching it on TV, which didn't exist. So Robert Johnson was clearly listening to people in his area like Sunhouse, like Charlie Patton, and and learning from them and wanting to emulate them initially, bringing us to the much-repeated uh, uh, legend. I call it an urban legend, legend. Maybe we can call it a country legend where... Johnson had gone away and he was kind of a mediocre player and then he came back and he was this astoundingly great player and uh, one of his friends said he must have sold his soul to the devil. Now that comment that was probably just off the cuff became the basis of this legend with the crossroads and all that. I think it's a bunch of hooey. Some people would disagree, but these are the way oral traditions can be warped. (laughs) And in my opinion, that's exactly what happened. I think Johnson just was playing more and more, playing all the time, and just got better. I'm still in the town And he's heavy on my mind I'm still in the town He's heavy on my mind I can have a good time there if I Got but one of it I know it, I pose it through and through. 
Clarksdale Moan. Sunhouse, 1931. Talk about rare. Uh, this is not my copy. This version, this, this copy of this extremely rare recording of Sunhouse came from Rich Nevins, and he reissued it on a wonderful series of CDs that he did on Shanakee, his label, called The Stuff That Dreams Are Made Of. And that's appealing to the collectors. Finding these rarities clearly is the stuff of dreams. And we have to hold uh, great esteem to the early collectors that scoured the South looking for these records, literally going into African-American neighborhoods, knocking on doors, house by house, looking for an area that had older homes that might have buried somewhere in their basement or their attics, some old recordings that the current tenants or the old tenants didn't want anymore. And how they would do this is they'd knock on the door and they'd have a sample record and you know, person would answer and say, hey, you have any any old records that look like this? I'll pay you a dollar a piece for anything you have. And usually not too much, you know, came of it. But once in a blue moon, gold, a box would be brought up from the basement and then a heart attack would be had by the collector going through the box, finding Charlie Patton records and all that. And that was canvassing. That was literally the way uh, uh, these recordings came to light. Uh, in, the, in the 30s and 40s and 50s, jazz collecting, jazz record collecting was really the main focus. And the people that were collecting what we call country blues, delta blues, this was really just beginning. And it was really a minority. People like Don Kent and Pete Whalen and Nick Pearls and Dick Spotswood, they were looking for delta blues recordings. And... Um, we owe it to them for their hard work, not only finding some of these extremely rare recordings, but also in some cases, like with Sunhouse, finding the very musicians who played on them. Sunhouse uh, was rediscovered, I guess, in the early 60s and brought to the Newport Folk Festival and had a bas basically had a second career the last like 10, 15 years of his life. They had to teach him how to play the guitar again. He hadn't played in years. He was a bit of a drinker, and uh, as I understand it, Alan Wilson, who uh, famously was in the band Canned Heat, taught Sunhouse how to play the guitar again. But there he was, uh, right before my chatter, in 1931, on the Clarksdale Moan, probably one of five or six copies that exist. <laughs> Mr. Hurst, Mr. Rose, no. 
said that the Mississippi Delta begins at the lobby of the Peabody Hotel in Memphis. And we were just in Memphis with the Memphis Jug Band. Very rare Victor recording, Jim Stranger Blues. And um, they were part of the scene, the beginning of the Delta. But so many Delta musicians were in Memphis. Furry Lewis uh, was one, one of my favorites. And the Memphis Jug Band people, Will Shade. Um, Frank Stokes, more of a songster than a real deep Delta player. And clearly, I, I think the Memphis players really were a little bit more urban sounding than people like Charlie Patton, who were down in Clarksdale, Mississippi, like Sun House and all of those people that really were singing for country barbecues and were working on the fields. Memphis was a little bit different, but still, I consider it part of the Delta, and we'll be playing a few Memphis recordings on the show. And if you've just tuned in, this is Joe Lauro. You're listening to American Grooves Radio Hour, and we're down in the Delta tonight, just for an hour, just till 11 o'clock here on WLIW-FM 88.3 on your radio dial. And I think it's time now to play one of the most haunting Delta performers, Kishi Wiley, guitar player, singer. I think there's only two, maybe four sides. I have to apologize. I am not a Delta music scholar, but I know that the two or four sides that she made are extremely rare, and they're sort of like 
the the jewel in the crown for any Delta collection if you happen to have her originals on Paramount Records. The problem with the Paramount Records is besides the rarity, they just sound awful. I mean, Paramount used the worst shellac, so they're very noisy, even if they're clean. I mean, some of them some of them are better than others, but the majority of them, especially with the Delta records, are, are pretty worn out when you find them. It's very difficult to find a E plus, as they call it, an excellent copy of a Charlie Patton Patton. And with Kishi Wiley, forget it. I think there's probably four or five in existence. And here's one of them. Last Kind Words Blues. <laughs> The last kind word I hear my dad say, Lord, the last kind word I hear my daddy say. If I die, if I die in the German war, I want to send my body then my mother-in-law. If I get killed, if I get killed, please don't bear my soul. I can't just leave me out, let the brothers me go. When you see me coming, look across the rich man's field. If I don't bring you flowers, I bring you roses. Down with the flu, you know. But you take it down with the flu, you know. It 
taxes and the chief come around that morning they gonna put out, you know. When they got that old soul was getting up, you know, singing and crying, you know. I ain't got nobody take me to this train. I know you ain't old soul, I feel sorry for her. Out a while, you know, she seen the contain you gonna put out. She reckon got her two little grandchildren, you know. And she got up on the street, you know. The water begin to sell in old soul eyes. She come up and crying and singing, you know. Man, you will if I don't see you no more. So an old soul, you know, went on down to the Union Station, you know. She asked the old man what time it was. She heard 8.30 freight blowing, but she was going to catch that fast Panama limit, you know. They kind of blow a little dip, you know. After she heard this freight, you know, she asked the man again what time it was. He told her go lay ahead on the railroad line that she had a rail popping. Train time was long. Old soul stooped down, she heard the rail popping, you know, she got up singing, you know. I'm a motherless child, I'm a long way from my home. Mm-hmm. Don't moan, it's so loud, eh, Haggy? So when old soul, you know, began to moan, you know, she heard you hear a train coming in there, hollering, you know. After the hollering, you know, she heard the bell blowing. After the bell blowing, she heard it when she cut down. Cut down, you know, the old soul got happy, you know, she come as a thing, you know. The train don't ride, he don't find no cold. White recording for Victor Records in the early ni- very early 1930s. Bucka White was born in Aberdeen, Mississippi in 1906, went on to the 1970s. I believe he passed away in 1977. And unlike so many of the other earlier Delta people, he he had a career that went on and on. He was um, he went out to, on the folk the folk blues tours that that went around Europe in the 1960s and performed into the 1970s. We have him at the Newport Folk Festival in 1965, 1966. He was very busy and he really kept to form. He played a national steel guitar and he was like a one-man dance band playing very deep, rhythmic blues. That was the Panama Limited, one of his first recordings ever. He did these sides. I believe he, he... issued four sides on Victor. I think others were recorded but not released. 
But then maybe five years or six years later, he wound up on the Vocalion ARC labels and some of his greatest recordings like Parchment Farm were done on that label. You can't have a Delta Blues show without the king of the Delta Blues, Charlie Patton. Patton is one of the most legendary figures, one of the most important figures. And he is just a scary sounding performer. I don't know how else to describe it. He sounds like he's from a different planet in many ways. It's this visceral, guttural sound with this strikingly percussive guitar playing. And he was idolized by so many of the younger Delta players. And he didn't live very long. I think he was born in the 1880s. And he was dead by the mid-1930s. He was an alcohol abuser and lived generally a rough life. But we're so lucky that he made a whole bunch of sides for Paramount Records and then Vocalion Records a little bit later. His last sides were recorded, I believe, in 1934, and he passed away shortly thereafter. But here is one of his classic sides, High Water Everywhere, part one. The water on the road Boy, when 
tell her that she's gonna go over there. Lord, no one has a red dollar. That old Jackson Road. Lord, no one has a red dollar. Oh, Jackson Road. Boy, he's got my claws. I'm going back to the hill of country. Won't be worth no more. Charlie Patton, High Water Everywhere. And that sound that you hear is so typical of the great Delta guitar players. It's a slapping of the strings, hitting their hand on the string, the bass strings, and the body of the guitar to make this drum-like sound, all being done by the one performer. So like I said, uh, th- these these performers were playing at dances. People were dancing to the guitar player and the voice, and they were dancing just like there was a band with a drummer. I mean, one-man band, Delta Blues, Charlie Patton was the king of it. And um, as I said, we're, we're going to go back to Memphis, Memphis being the very beginning of the Delta, where the Delta begins at the Peabody Hotel. And Furry Lewis is one of my favorites. Furry also went on into the 1970s, was cherished by so many of the traditionalists who had rediscovered him and had him playing at festivals everywhere into the 1970s. And here he is back in Memphis in 1930, singing about a badass judge, Furry Lewis, Judge Harsh Blues. What may be my fine? Good morning, Judge. What may be my fine? Fifty dollars and eleven twenty-nine. They arrest me for murder. I ain't never harmed a man. Arrest me for murder, Lord, I ain't harmed a man. Women hollering murder, and I ain't raised my hand. I ain't got nobody get me out on bond. I ain't got nobody to get me out on bond. I would not mind, but I ain't done nothing wrong. Please, Judge Horace, make it light as you possibly can. Please, Judge Horace, make it light as you possibly can. I ain't did no work, Judge, and I don't know when. My woman come a running with a hundred dollars in her hand. Come a running, my woman with a hundred dollars in her hand. I just please spare my man. One hundred dollars won't do. Better run in and get your three. One hundred dollars won't do. Better run in and get your three. I can keep your man from penitentiary.
Baby, I'm rested. Please don't grieve and moan. Cause I'm rested, baby, please don't grieve and moan. Then it can't to seem just like my home. People are hollering about what in the world they will do. Just the people hollering about what in the world they will do. Lots of people have justice, it's been fantastic too. Thank you for bearing with us this evening on our Delta Blues show here at American Grooves. A little extra surface noise on these recordings, that little snap, crackle, and pop of shellac being played by a stylus. And the reason why you hear it is because a lot of these Delta Blues recordings are so rare that there's just not beautiful, silent-sounding copies around. Or certainly I don't have them or have access to them. That was a Victor recording by Furry Lewis. And it was actually a nice shape, but just really not very well-pressed. And through the years, they take on moisture and they get a little noisy. Now we're going to move back down to Clarksdale. And in 1931, Paramount Records summoned two... Grafton, Wisconsin, where they were recording at the time. None other than Charlie Patton, Sun House, Elizabeth Johnson, a pianist, and the Delta Big Four. And the Delta Big Four really were a vocal group. They were a quartet. Sometimes they had a preacher with them, but in this case, they're singing a classic, I Am In His Care, the Delta Big Four, followed by Willie Brown. Particularly preachers making... Uh, recordings of sermons was very popular. Um, the Delta Big Four were not one of the popular groups like Reverend Gates and Re- Reverend McGee, but they did record that week with Patton and Sunhouse. You can imagine what that ride up from the Delta was like with those characters. But here Big they are in really 1931, and we're going to follow it with Willie Brown, another legendary Delta Blues player who was also on that fateful trip. One day as I was a-walking, Lordy, Lordy, down the lonesome road. And this spirit came unto me, Lordy, fill my heart with joy, joy, joy. One day as I was a-walking, Lordy, Lordy, down the lonesome road. Singing in a high sand, God, I'm in I am in his care, good Lord, Lord, when my Savior care, my Lord, sing. I am in his care, I'm in his care, and my Savior care, oh Lord, Lord, Jesus got his arms all around me, and though evil thoughts can harm me, for I thank God I'm in his I wouldn't not 
Amazing Willie Brown. Now that is a typical Delta style, a style that was emulated by many people. And that record, I never expected to find it. Really just a few copies out there. Mine's got a crack in it. I sent it to a fellow in California who did this amazing work to fix it. He, he brought the crack closer together with heat and a certain type of shellac glue that he's invented. And God bless him, he actually got it to play without too much skipping. You know, uh, Willie Brown was just a very typical uh, 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 proponent of the of the Delta Blues guitar style with the string slapping, just like you heard with Charlie Patton. Sunhouse did the same sort of thing. Um, Bucko White, you've heard a whole bunch of it here today. And the Delta Blues record collecting is really something that has caught fire. I think mainly because there's a lot of people out there that it's not so much about the music, but finding the rarest of the rare. And they seem to like that almost more than the music. Just on jazz, I have a, a lot of good blues records, a handful of Delta blues, but I'll tell you one story. I know that when I first began this program, I said that I'd be sharing stories of record finding, which are almost as interesting as some of the performers who actually made the records. The stories of excavating this shellac 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years after it was made. There was a dealer uh, who became a great friend of mine. His name uh, was Mort Morton Savada. He had a shop right across the street from the Empire State Building of all places called Records Revisited. And Mort was kind of a cantankerous guy, lovable but cantankerous. You'd go there and he really had retired into the record business. He really didn't need the money. He was more interested in, for 50 cents a pop, making cassette tapes of, of big band recordings for whoever requested it, let alone selling rare, old, and expensive Delta Blues <laughs> records to me and my friends. But uh, Rush Shore, who you heard on one of our earlier shows, he and I, about 20 years ago, stumbled into um, Mort's shop on a Saturday afternoon, he was generally closed. We heard he'd been there. Russ was in town. So we went up to visit, and there had been a box lying on the floor right next to his cash register for about two years. And he just wouldn't let us look into that box. And the thing that was enticing about it is he told us that he had gotten it from a fellow in the mid-1930s who was reviewing records. So he'd be sent records, play them once, write a review, and that was the end of it. So the records were near mint. We had no idea what they were. And with Mort, it was always, oh, my back is killing me today. You guys are killing me. Come back next week. Well, the next week went on and on and on. And finally, this Saturday, there was really not that much going on. And we finally wore Mort out. We got him into submission. And Russ and I went through that box. He on one side, me on the other. And we worked our way to the middle of this box. Well, the first thing that I pulled out was Crossroads Blues by Robert Johnson. The next record that I pulled out was Preacher Blues by 
by Robert Johnson. Russ was having similar luck on the other side. At the end of the day, within five minutes, out of that box, we pulled every issued Robert Johnson record. We just really didn't know what to do. And then we had to deal with Mort. And like I said, Mort really didn't care that much about selling records for lots of money. He, he was more concerned with getting us out of there and not bothering him. So we said, well, Mort, we've got this stack of records. They're good ones. What do you, what do you think you can sell them to us for? And he goes, oh, just get out of here. Give me $100 a piece and just... Leave me alone. I got work to do. I got to make these 50 cent recordings for all these people. The, the orders are stacking up. We couldn't pull that money out of our pockets fast enough. When, when Russ and I got to the street, I think we both looked at each other and we screamed. <laughs> we had just gotten every single Robert Johnson record. And even then, 20 years ago, they were worth way more than that. And, you know, Mort made the price. We didn't, like, try to rip him off and say, well, you know, we'll give you 50 cents a piece for him. I mean, he said $100. He just wanted us out of there. He didn't care if we took the record, so we ran. I remember I went down to Matty Humanoff's guitar shop in Greenwich Village, where I had a lot of friends. I was living on Sullivan Street at the time. And my friend, um, Eric Franzen, who uh, is to this day a great guitar player, great blues player, great songwriter, I showed him the records and it became everyone gathered around us. It was just a phenomenal. And I think it's truly one of the great finds of my 40 plus year record collecting escapades. Oh, 
Mississippi County Farm Blues. We're ending with Sunhouse. I love Sunhouse. He is one of the great figures of the Delta Blues. And I, I had a chance to actually take him to a gig once when I was in college. We uh, picked him up. I think he was living in Rochester at the time. This would have been around 1976. We drove him to Plattsburgh. He did his 20-minute set. We brought him back home. We were told that he may want to have a drink and that we had a promise not to let Sunhouse have a drink. So after the concert, we got him in the car and, you know, we were 21 years old, driving him all the way back to Rochester and Sunhouse is in the back of the car going, well, wasn't I just great? Didn't I, didn't I do a good show for you guys? And we said, yeah, son, that was just amazing. He goes, well, don't I deserve a little drink? Let's pull over and, and, and go to that store over there and let's get a bottle and have some fun. And we, we told him that we had promised we wouldn't let that happen. Well, he kept pleading, then he started crying, and then, thank God, he fell asleep. But we had the king of the Delta Blues in the back of our car pleading for us to get him drunk. Quite an experience. Anyway, folks, this is Joe Laura. We hope you've enjoyed this week's episode. Until next time, it's okay, America. Okay, America! American Grooves Radio Hour is brought to you weekly on WLIW-FM Southampton, 88.3 on your radio dial, and at WLIW.org, and all streaming formats.